I thought I could take a car, my ex-wife's old car that was sitting in her driveway, and repair the engine and hold it out to my son as a uh, carrot. Welcome to The Recovery Show. This episode is sponsored by Helen. Helen, thank you for your support of The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Tonight, we are talking with parents who have found support and recovery. Some have children who are still actively drinking or drugging, while some of their children have found recovery, and some struggle with mental illness. They will share their experience, strength, and hope with us and with you. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we and our guests may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, our guests will share their own experiences, and the opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Kelly, and I will be your host today. I'd like to ask our guests to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Fred. I'm Beth. I'm Jane. I'm Andrew. Why don't we start off to um, just give the listeners a just a brief idea, if each of you want to share just a little bit about your story. Um, and why don't we start with Fred? Hi. Um, my qualifier is uh, currently 48 years old. Uh, lives away from home. He first began having difficulties with uh, the use of alcohol and drugs when he was 15. Currently, he is uh, sober, living in a uh, in a recovering community. But uh, over the uh, 30 plus years, there have been many episodes and many times when he has not been sober, has had multiple relapses. Thank you, Fred. Next, let's go to Jane. Hi, I'm the mother of a 26-year-old who got into recovery when he was 20. He started using when he was in middle school, and his use escalated through high school and a couple of years after high school until he went into treatment and I came into Al-Anon. Um, he's sober today, by the grace of God, and I continue to come to Al-Anon because I keep finding ways that it helps me in my life. Thank you, Jane. Next, let's go to Beth. Um, I am a mother of an early a daughter who's in her early 20s, and she started, we saw signs when she was in her early high school years, so probably freshman, sophomore in high school, and had her first rehab experience when she was a senior in high school for a 30-day program. And she has had intermittent rehab stays since then and, and periods of, of sobriety as well. She's currently clean and sober and, and has been for probably since November. She is actually living at home, has just moved home with us within the last couple of weeks. So that's a pretty big new peace for all of us. Thank you, Beth. And last but not least, Andrew. Hi, my uh, son is my qualifier. He started doing drugs and alcohol, as far as I can tell, at about age 14. He's in his early 20s now. Uh, the situation got 
pretty serious and his education development pretty much stopped and he got in trouble with drugs and alcohol, as I mentioned. I was not in any sort of recovery program at the time, tried to take control of the situation, ended up doing an intervention, hauling him out west to a wilderness program for rehab. From there to the northwest for aftercare, where things seemed to get worse, learned through a hospitalization that he suffered a mental illness, a mood disorder, and tried to incorporate that into my attempt to fix the problem with some professionals. And he ended up uh, running away from the, the aftercare program, the residential program, hitchhiking across the northern United States in the middle of winter, and uh, thankfully making it back to our area alive. Uh, he's been struggling ever since, has been in jail because of some of his issues, including some untreated mental illness at the time. And uh, he's currently living in the community. He's been in and out of my house, but mostly out, and has gotten a little stability, but is not truly in a recovery program. So he's still struggling a bit. So that's my background. Thank you, Andrew. I wanted to kind of start with a question to all of you, whoever's comfortable um, responding, feel free. But I wanted to kind of start at the beginning. We have a concept in the program called the three C's, didn't cause it, can't control it, and can't cure it. So I'm wondering if at any point any of you felt like you could have caused this disease in your children, and if so, how did you deal with that feeling? Fred? This was probably the the number one issue that uh, that I had to deal with when it became apparent that that my son was in in trouble with drugs and alcohol. I was absolutely certain, convinced uh, that there were there were things that I had either done or not done that had uh, that had caused all of this to uh, to happen, and really. For the first, uh, well, at least three years of his illness, uh, my efforts were, m- much of my efforts were directed towards trying to figure out what this was or what, what, what it was that I had done or not done and to make corrections or to, uh, to try and uh, change things so that he would, he would uh, quit quit using and get back uh, to uh, basically normal behavior and school activities and and that kind of thing. There was no eureka moment when I suddenly realized that no I didn't cause this or that I wasn't responsible for the uh, for the illness, but rather rather it was a process and that process started with my involvement in um, in Al-Anon and uh, Building on what I learned from the meetings and from uh, people that I talked to and from the uh, from the readings, I gradually became convinced uh, that indeed I did not cause this that it that it was an illness, and that I really had no part in in its uh, in its origins or in its uh, course or uh, anything uh, such as that it it continues to be a little bit of a um, 
question in my mind, uh, even though it's been 30-plus years, uh, still as to whether or not there was anything that I could have done differently that may have, um, if not prevented, at least minimized the uh, seriousness of his uh, illness. But I always return back to what I've learned and uh, I realize and understand that indeed it, it it was not again anything of, of that, that that I was that I was responsible for. Thank you. Beth? I think that's such a great question because I even though I have a background in mental health and have worked in mental health for years, I had this sort of stigma or believe the myth that somehow addicts were, you know, from broken homes or not good parents, and, and I, I sort of bought into that and felt really blindsided when our daughter started using and, and clearly had a problem. And I, because I, I couldn't figure out, well, what had happened and what had caused it or what had I done or what had my husband done and what hadn't we done. And I remember in her first rehab stay when those words were up on a, a slide for a, a family program that you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and there's no cure. I just started crying because it was such a relief to sort of um, forgive myself and to, to realize that it really is an illness and that, you know, like any chronic illness, you don't have a lot of control over it. So that, for me, in, in coming to Al-Anon, that it's been this huge sense of relief. Great. Thank you. Andrew? I'll, uh, I'll just add a, a more detail uh, one element. I had gone through a divorce maybe three years before this all kind of hit the fan. And I don't think I ever really felt that I caused the the behavior. But I do think the guilt associated with, and, and I had filed for divorce. I had made the decision to leave my wife. And as part of that decision, I made an, a really strong commitment to myself to always be there for my kids. I made it very clear to myself that I wasn't divorcing any of my children. I have four children. So that when this came up and sort of hit the fan, as I say, I just, I think I sensed a sort of, there's probably some underlying guilt that maybe, maybe the divorce had triggered this in some way, even though I wasn't really, you know, at the time conscious of it. But I just remember thinking, I've got to do something. I've got to really step up and take control of the situation so that uh, I guess there was a little bit of the first C causing it, but maybe even more of the idea that I could control it or fix it. And uh, I'm not sure. I know I did myself a lot of damage in that for those three or four years before I got into uh, Al-Anon and a recovery program for myself, but I probably did him some damage too. That's harder to say, but I certainly did myself some damage. (laughs) (laughs) So I moved away after college, and part of the reason I moved away was I thought I could get away from all the craziness of the alcoholic family that I grew up in. Didn't stay quite that far away, moved back to the middle of the country. Um, I was from the East Coast <clears throat> and still thought that was far enough away that I could raise my family away from the chaos of my family of origin. And so when um, my son started drinking and it started escalating, then I thought it was, then I thought it was me. I thought it was, 
I wasn't a good enough parent. I thought it was maybe things I did or maybe things I didn't do. I didn't do enough. My two children were very different from each other, and I thought it was I, it was the way I interacted with one versus the other, and um, I had all reasons to blame myself. I also had fears because the behavior I was seeing was a lot like one of my alcoholic siblings, and so I just I just had this fear that that my my son was going down that same path. And so I tried all sorts of ways to to control it, pleading with him, educating him, crying, being nice. You know, what are you doing to me? You know, getting him to feel sorry for me, being nice. All kinds of ways I would just manipulate what I was saying and how I was saying to it because I thought all of those things would maybe make a difference. And none of them did. None of them did at all. It just it just made me crazy in, in the process, and uh, it wasn't until he went into treatment and I started in Al-Anon where I finally realized and heard and felt that relief that this wasn't my fault. You know, I didn't cause it, and and I couldn't control it, and I couldn't cure it, and that gave me gave me a sense of relief because I sure. Th- felt it was all on me, you know? So, yeah. Thank you. I feel like several of you kind of gave me the impression that your children maybe started drinking or using drugs as a minor. So a question that we hear a lot from listeners is, how do you balance your responsibility as a parent with the program suggestion to let go or detach, especially when they're under 18. Andrew? I was introduced to Al-Anon initially out west when I would make my frequent trips out to visit with my son and meet with his therapist and his counselors and eventually his doctor and the head of the residential aftercare program that at one point kicked him out after two weeks and then gave us a second chance after he got back out of the hospital. And... Um, I, I have had a sponsor. We have sponsors in this program. And I think one of the lessons my sponsor taught me was that it's not for anybody to tell you how to make your boundary. And I really believe that. And I especially believe it's applicable to a parent of a minor. I happen to be a lawyer. And I know that there are legal responsibilities that to some extent society puts on parents. I think that that alone is justification for exercising additional boundaries that would not be appropriate to a legal adult. At the, by the same token, I want to hasten to add that I don't know of any judge who wouldn't be extremely sympathetic to a situation involving a substance abuse, abusing uh, adolescent. So I don't think there's any easy answer to the question. I have put my minor child out on a screened-in porch in the middle of February when he could not respect a boundary to keep drugs out of my house because I just didn't feel safe. And I think that's a reasonable demand to have for your house. 
Sure. But I gave him a sleeping bag and I made sure he didn't freeze to death. And that's sort of maybe one example. Sure. You kind of met him halfway. Sure. Oh, boy. What a struggle. <laughs> Again, I didn't find the program until she was almost 18. Okay. So I'm sure I did lots of stuff to enable her. And I guess my boundary was to really make sure that she was able to do things. So I did a lot of things so she was able to graduate high school in terms of, you know, calling in sick for her when she probably had been using, you know, just sort of all the shame and guilt of all of that. And, you know, I'd, I'd rummage through her room looking for drugs and, and things. She was pretty smart. She didn't really keep a lot of stuff at home. <laughs> and and she, uh, knock on wood, I don't know, she hasn't gotten in trouble with the law. But boy, that's certainly by the grace of God. And probably protected her in a way that hasn't always been helpful. After she was 18, I have, I have asked her to leave the house and, and told her that she had to do that. And, you know, I know she's been homeless on the streets before. Okay. So maybe uh, Fred or Jane can comment. I feel like the impression that I'm getting from Andrew and Beth is that uh, your child's age doesn't really have to do with your feelings of boundaries and detachment and letting go that it it sounds like maybe it's more of how far along you were in your program not necessarily how old your child is yeah okay i'm getting a lot of nods here (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to read we actually had two listeners who submitted questions the the biggest question that we got on this idea of parents of addicts is on detachment and boundaries which andrew you kind of touched on So I want to read both of the listener questions and maybe get some feedback from you on your ability to set boundaries in terms of financial support, food, shelter, clothing, treatment, etc. So I'm going to read both questions. And then why don't we start with Jane? Uh, The first listener question is, I'm struggling with detachment and boundaries. I'm the mother of a 31-year-old who is an alcoholic. I do go to meetings, etc. However, I really struggle with this. He is currently homeless and prayerfully close to a breakthrough. He's attending meetings and working, but it, it so hurts my heart. I don't know how to be supporting and not enabling. I want to talk to him. I guess I should call it what it is, and that's advice. Maybe I just listen. Can I just ask how his program is? Can I make suggestions? I don't know what I should and should not say or do. And the second question says, detachment. I feel like detaching with love is condoning the behavior. How do I detach from my adult son and enjoy his company? I can set a boundary of maybe him being sober when we meet. He will honor that, but I feel like there is an elephant in the room. I don't know how to accept him for who he is. It makes me sad as a mom. So boundaries is something that I really struggled with before I got into Al-Anon. I still struggle a little bit at times um, with that, but not nearly as, as much as I used to. Before I got into the program, I would always try and state a boundary. You know, I'm not going to do this, or you're not going to get that, or we're no longer going to you know, support you or give you money or whatever it was, but I would always give in over and over and over again. And in retrospect, I was enabling 
a, a lot of his behavior, not wanting to accept or wanting to believe what I was hearing the money would be used for. Mm. And and that's that was part of my, my denial, I guess. So continued that for 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 a long time, over and over and over again, even though I told myself next time I won't. That was really hard. The first real boundary that I set and and, and an important aspect of it was getting my husband and I on the same page. That was always a struggle. One of us would want to set a boundary and the other was, oh, but, you know, this is just a phase or there was always an excuse. And so the first time we got on the same page and and set a boundary was after his second year of college, the end of his sophomore year, when his using his had really escalated and was affecting him and all of us in a really bad way. And that boundary was to not send him back to school and and not not pay for it. I had tried setting that boundary the summer before to not send him back, but but my husband and I were not on the same page. But after the second year of this, we got on the same page and were able to set that boundary um, despite the reaction that we got from our son and um, didn't tell him what he needed to do, but just said, we will no longer support you going back to school. And that was actually when he made the decision on his own to to go into treatment. That wasn't something that we decided or tried to talk him into. We just had thought that it wasn't a good idea to continue funding this uh, this ex- this experience um, at a state and uh, <laughs> and 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 was able to set that boundary. So I look back, and that was really one of the first, and certainly the most significant boundary that we were able to set. That's great. Thank you, Fred. How about you? How how did you deal with uh, detachment, setting boundaries? supporting your child, not supporting them? I, I often think about this. It's a little easier now to, to answer that question than it was when when it was actually going on. For the first oh, three to four years of my of my son's illness, I didn't have uh, an Al-Anon program. It wasn't until he went to his first first treatment which is about three years after he, uh, about two years after he started uh, started using, that I was introduced to the program, but I didn't really get involved until a couple of years uh, after that. But initially, I did all of the all of the things that you are not supposed to do and, and are not <laughs> good for the individual, and related to school, uh, his athletics. Uh, his activities and uh, and those kinds of things, in the sense that would set set boundaries, but uh, would violate whatever boundaries I set or we, my, his mother and I set. O- over the years, though, it has become evident that that that's what needs to be done. And again, part of that has been learning it by experience, and uh, part of it has been. Again, being involved on a regular basis in the um, in the Al-Anon program, 
so that now the boundaries are very firm. Uh, there's a very clear understanding between uh, him, me, uh, his mother, and uh, his two brothers as to what our expectations are, and there really is no discussion about adhering to that. He's been on the street uh, several times, and obviously a bit of financial support or a little of this or a little of that would have been very helpful, uh, but that uh, has not been forthcoming from uh, from anyone. So initially, the boundary setting was was not very good, and it has gotten better um, uh, over the years. I'd just like to go back for a second to when he was underage and deciding on how you deal with him. What I, in retrospect, particularly have thought about is I think my one of my principal responsibilities as a um, as a parent was to keep him safe. Now, beyond that, uh, then he needed he needed to suffer the consequences of his use and uh, as far as as far as it related to school his uh, athletic activities and uh, and that kind of thing andrew you read two questions they both have to do with loving detachment which i think is the real nub of of the program and of the dilemma how do you both communicate and and show your love but also detach and it's it's uh, the first thing I want to do is just acknowledge how <clears throat> how difficult that is of a concept to to learn and to own and to implement. I, I do do think that these two questions really come from two different places, though they're very different in tone. With respect to the first uh, person, I, I guess my own relating from my own experience, uh, you know, my early twenty year old kid, uh, we had to get him in the hospital three times last year for mental illness, for, okay. for failure for him to stay on his medication, partly because of his substance abuse. And there was, I, I truly think that he needed that experience. And the sense of, of loss of freedom, and he hated going into the hospital. These were locked wards and you know when he was when he was really spinning out of control that's where he needed to be and it's a very difficult painful thing especially with a kid you know somebody over a young person over 18 and i will say i credit this program for having built up several years of trust with him that enabled me to play a role each time in getting him in and okay. and him, at least two of the three times, really going along with it. The third time, and this is another technique, I I had to reach out to some of his adult brothers because I couldn't emotionally take it. I needed some help. I needed some support. And I would encourage people to look for some support. So, And I think that plays into what Fred said about you know safety. I mean, I'm never going to... I may have had more responsibility when he was a minor, but I'm always going to be there for his safety because I love him sure. and I'm his parent, and that doesn't ever go away. Right. With respect to the second question, I relate to that question, but more from a his looking back and, and identifying with it years ago. And I think the thing that helped me get through that feeling of of 
you know, I hate to say it, but a sense of judgment that comes through is to go what's, to what's called an open AA meeting. And an open AA meeting is, a, is not an Al-Anon meeting. It's, a, it's an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. But it's, by its terms, open to non-alcoholics, including members of Al-Anon. And the two things I get out of periodically going to those meetings is seeing speaker after speaker after speaker, week after week after week, who has been in recovery a year, three years, five years, 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, tell their story. And seeing the similarity, every story is different, but every story is really the same. And through that experience, I came to learn that this is a disease. I got it in a more organic way. And once I got it that it was a disease, I didn't have the same attitude toward my son. Hmm. Uh, You don't judge somebody for having a disease. And so you don't accept consequences of unacceptable behavior. You have to let them have their consequences. But I think that's just something that helped me. The other thing that really helped me from those meetings is this idea of hope. If these people could make it, if so many of these people could make it, there's hope for my son. And, and that helps me go. <laughs> it helps me keep going. And it helps me hang in there and feel better about it and want to get dinner once every couple of weeks with my son or whatever it is that I'm willing to do. I literally put him and his brothers on a plane this morning to go visit their older brother down in Texas. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be there as his dad, you know, and I'm going to support the things I can support for as long as I'm around. That's a great suggestion. And I think to any of our listeners, um, if you just get on the internet, it's really easy to find uh, open AA meetings in your area. Beth, do you want to comment? Sure. In terms of the second question, in terms of, I guess that's the first question about advice giving or questioning. And I think as a mom of a younger child, I thought it was my role to give advice. And I think that probably is true. But as as our daughter has matured into an, an emerging young adult, what I try to do now is to listen a lot okay. and to ask questions and and not be judgmental with what the answers are. <laughs> sure. Because if you, if you have an idea about what you want the answer to be, then you're trying to control the situation. Right. And And actually, our daughter's much better at saying to me, I mean, sometimes she'll call up and just really want to vent and and sometimes I'll start to give advice and she'll even say, Really, mom, I'm just venting. I really don't want to know what your your advice is. I just want to share this with you and get it wow. off my chest. And so that's been really helpful for me too to go, okay, right. Just listen, 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 listen. And maybe ask a question or two. But boy, I mean as a mom, I really <laughs> want to give advice a lot. So for me to, you know, really zip my lips. I, I keep making this hand motion, which I know nobody else can see except <laughs> people in the room. Um, and a lot like Jane was saying, the boundary around money is continues to be what I really struggle with. And like Jane, my husband and I were not on the same page at all. And I was giving her a lot more money, probably as a way to sort of alleviate my own guilt somehow. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. And and probably because I wanted to control the outcome. And so we, too, were giving her, paying for her tuition at an out-of-state school. And it was money going down the drain. And so it, what has been really helpful is 
after fall semester also, we said, done, we're done. And that's amazingly, she's been doing better. So it's it's interesting when you can set a boundary. And I think we're both, my husband and I are better about talking about and trying to be on the same page. And, and that's because we're both in this program. <laughs> Great. I think actually all of you at some point touched on the idea of trying to force a solution at some point with your child in the relationship, whether it was with treatment or you know, just trying to control their behavior. So we're wondering if you have a specific example of that when you tried to force a solution and how that affected your relationship with your child, Fred? Yeah, his mother and I decided on, after one failed treatment, to do another. But this was preceded by a formal intervention, which uh, ended up with him going out of state to a treatment program and then subsequent to the, the formal treatment program to a an extended aftercare program in a, uh, in a recovering, uh, recovering community. By doing that, he uh, ended up missing... Well, first of all, obviously had to leave his, his high school and all the people that he knew there because treatment was out of state. Then it also meant that he was no longer on the basketball team, and it also meant that he would miss the better part of one school year, which would delay or change his graduating time, and um, he would he wasn't sure where he was going to finish up high school. First of all, the treatment was successful in the sense that he finished uh, an extended treatment, did finish the uh, aftercare, the, the halfway house, although uh, I didn't know it at the time. He apparently got drunk the last week that he was there, so I'm not sure you, we could uh, classify that as a success. <laughs> but in answer to uh, Kelly's question about the forcing a solution, the uh, the upshot of this was that for innumerable years, and and I really don't know how long it went on, the the level of resentment and the level of anger that he had for being sent away mm-hmm. was, was a constantly recurring problem, okay. uh, to the extent that there are there have been times when. On December 5th, he would make the phone call to remind me that that was the date that he got sent away. And this was 10, 15 years after the event. Now, over the last five or so years, this has gotten better. And and in the intervening time, it has not been uh, a lack of acknowledgement on my part that uh, in retrospect, Perhaps it wasn't the best thing to do or could have been done differently and all those kinds of things. But also to remind him that the decision was made because we did love him. We were hopeful that it would make things better, that he would get back on track and that kind of thing. That has very little very little influence in the way he felt or feels about that, that action. Okay. Wow. Andrew, I saw you nodding your head. I have a very similar experience in the sense that I also did an intervention and also felt some of the resentment. Maybe, well, it hasn't been 15 years, so we'll we'll see how far it goes. But 
I, I just want to, for anybody listening to this, want to add, we're all doing the best we can. Sure. And I am confident that every parent out there is doing the best he or she can with uh, her knowledge and resources. So strokes you for listening to this and try to trying to get some tools. In my case, I literally uh, was trying to save my son's life. I really felt that. So I've never had a great deal of guilt, uh, although I too question at this point whether that was a sensible solution. I'll give you another smaller example. I I thought I could take a car my ex-wife's old car that was sitting in her driveway and repair the engine and hold it out to my son as a uh, carrot and said, okay, you're going to, we're going to, I'm going to go to CVS and buy all these drug and alcohol test kits, home kits. And if you can stay sober for X weeks, I'll give you the key. Frequently he could not. I, I can't tell you how many debates we had about whether the line was this, that, or the other. <laughs> it was uh, it was insane. I, I mean, it, I I wanted to jump off a cliff. I mean, every week, every other week, we were having an argument about this test strip. You know, it just it was uncanny. And he would say anything and make up any excuse. And you know. I think a few months later, he ended up stealing his mom's actual car. You know? oh, no. So, uh, <laughs> I'm, punch. Th- 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 that that hasn't been proven to anybody's satisfaction. But <laughs> let me let me say that. But yeah, no, it's you know my uh, less than fully recovered self has come up with all kinds of ways to try to control, and it's very frequently of any use. Hmm. Jane, so there's not really one big event that I can think of where I tried to force a solution, but I can think of lots of lots and lots of smaller ones because I was really into trying to control. I guess what really stands out is when he was in middle school and he he was always drawn to what I coined then as being like the bad kids, the kids who Mm. would get into trouble, kids Mm -hmm. who were using and it was whether it was in the school setting or in the sports setting, you know, it, it didn't matter. Those were the kids he was drawn to and he wanted to spend time with. And that became a huge battleground for us. And and it was for many years, even after those relationships ended and, you know, people went their different ways. It 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 just was. But, you know, I, I saw them as mm. contributing to, you know, my son's behavior and 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 the choices that he was making and that was all fed into all that fear that I had anyway from growing up with alcoholism and 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 just scared that you know that was going to happen in in my family again so I really tried to control that aspect of it at that time and it was not good for for our relationship I think now he understands you know, of course, he's much, much older, but for years, that was that was a battleground. So there's also a concept that we talk about in the program of taking someone else's inventory, which is kind of a way to be critical of their program or just their behavior in general. Is that something that you, any of you feel like has been difficult for you in terms of, you know, trying to kind of let them take their own path? Maybe we could start with Beth. I often want 
my daughter to do things in my time frame. Like, okay. it's time to get a job. It's time to go back to school. You need to do this. And versus if if I sit back, she usually does all the, the, those things, but she'll do them in her own time frame. And I, I have to really realize that I'm in my 50s, and so to have the insight of, I guess insight, I was going to say wisdom, but I won't go there, insight perhaps <laughs> of a 50-year-old versus somebody in their early 20s, sure. whether they're in recovery or not, it's it's sort of that same kind of, you know, it's it's about me and I need to make sure that I'm keeping my own side of the sidewalk clean. And so, I mean, I think what I try to do is model my Al-Anon program. Or if if I feel like she's struggling with something, I can I can say, well, this, you know, in Al-Anon, this is what I was thinking about. So not really giving advice, but really trying to keep it focused on me and not focused on her. Okay. And, and to understand, it was really helpful for me at one point. You know, in this program, we talk about higher powers and, and, and getting in touch with our own higher powers. And for me to realize that I'm not my daughter's higher power. Sure. And I have my own higher power, and she has her own higher power. Wow, isn't that really cool? So that was really helpful for me to sort of be able to think about, keep it focused on myself, you know, what do I need to get done? What do I need to do today? Not what she needs to do. Sure. And recognize that her higher power will take care of her. Yes, yes. Okay. Fred? Question reminds me... uh, Early on, the the very lengthy and non-productive discussions that I would have with my son uh, about whatever happened to be going on at that particular time, and the discussion was always filled with lots of my advice and lots of my, this is the way it should be done and why why can't you see it this way and, and that kind of thing. And, and comparing that with what goes on now, he may call and be drunk, and in the past, I first would be absolutely devastated because, once again, he was starting to drink or was actively drinking again, and I would start to ask questions or, in some way or another, try to give him a direction. Now it's, you're drunk, we don't need to talk now, call me back later, and, and that's it. Okay. Um, the other thing is when something comes up that is that he talks to me about or tells me about that's related to his using, I, I, I feel myself moving into the mode of, again, taking his inventory or giving his, his advice, uh, giving him advice. The difference is that lasts about 30 seconds. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's not my problem. It's his to to solve and his to take care of. And and we just move on. Either the conversation ends or we go to a different subject. The other change is that he now may call and actually ask a question or ask for my advice with with prefacing it by saying, I want your advice. Often I, I will even avoid doing giving advice at that time 
but rather ask a, 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 a series of questions or one or two questions that helps to give him some ideas or thought or a different way to think about things or or that kind of thing. I, I think all of that ends up in summary simply being my approach to him and and the the issues and concerns that I have. The way I approach those are entirely different today than they were 30 years ago when we started down this path. Sure. Jane? Yeah, this is this is a really good question. I can relate to a lot of what has been said already. I guess the only thing that I would add is that I catch I can catch myself now, you know, since I've been coming to Al-Anon and taking my own inventory myself, taking a look at my own assets and and defects it's helped me be less judgmental of of other people of my children other family members you know and to to recognize i'm not perfect you know they're not perfect either and and that's okay but i can you know i can go down that path of taking somebody's inventory but the difference is that now i can i can recognize usually when i'm doing that and I'll use a couple of the slogans that are in this program and one is the live and let live that I'll use and when I catch myself you know getting into somebody else's business taking their inventory becoming critical thinking about what I think they ought to be doing that kind of thing you know I catch myself doing that now and I'll use that live and let live the live is what is it that I should be doing right now. I have no business being in their business. What is it that, you know, I I can be doing right now, you know, for myself? And the let live is to, you know, basically to 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 let them have their path, let them have their journey, let them make their decisions and do things on their on their timetable and and not on mine. And um and I've done that enough now that I have seen that you know, things things just unfold, seem to unfold the way that they're supposed to unfold. And, and in retrospect, you know, what I thought I knew was right for, for somebody else did, didn't really didn't turn out to be to be right at all. So sure. it's taken a lot of practice, uh, that's for sure. But using that slogan, live and let live, and then the other one that goes along with it, the, the let go and let God, you know, mm-hmm. taking that that deep breath in and then that deep exhale, you know, to just let go when I recognize that I'm going into that space where I'm in other people's business. Definitely some great tools to use. Andrew? The question is, how difficult is it to avoid taking your child's inventory? Listen, we're parents. We're going to (laughs) take our kids' inventory. I mean, that's practically the definition of being parents in many respects. (laughs) A lot of it turns on on what we mean by taking inventory, and and the previous answers have elaborated that. In terms of uh, how how do you control it or try to keep it in the healthy camp toward that side of the equation, I think that I remind myself of the three C's. Uh, I can't control it because usually what I'm doing when I'm taking his inventory is 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 dealing with an issue around his substance abuse or the consequences of it or sure. some behavior that I somehow correctly or incorrectly associate with it. The other thing that's really helpful for me and what has taken a lot of trial and error and uh, just sort of 
cold sweat over the years is trying to ask myself when I set a boundary, is this really a boundary of what I need for myself? Is this something that's fair for me to ask as a human being on this planet? Or is it really a subterfuge as in a way to try to control my son to get him to do what I think he should do? Okay. And so the whole no drugs or paraphernalia in the house, I feel very comfortable about that. It wasn't it wasn't to control his behavior uh, as much as it was I needed a safe place to I needed to come home from work, feel like the cops weren't going to bust in, feel like the, you know, his friends were going to come over and rip off electronic equipment, which had happened. And so there were some very real and concrete self-interested and legitimate you know needs that i have now you know after trying to literally help vet a college schedule i've given up on that for him and what i've i and again this gets back to the point i made about everybody has to set their own boundaries everybody's financial situation is different everybody's upbringing is different my parents didn't pay for my higher education other people have had that gift and feel very indebted to, you know, that they feel an obligation to provide that to their children in turn. So it's all very much specific to the individual. But what I came up after a lot of soul searching was I said to my son, okay, here's the number of dollars per credit hour that I feel good about supporting you if you choose to go back to school. You can take one class at a community college. You can take six credits, you can take 10, just multiply that number, whatever the credit hours, times this amount, and that's how much I give you a month to support. And so if you want to work 40 hours a week and go part-time, if you want to go full-time and work 10 hours a week, it's not enough to probably get all the way there, but, but everybody would have a different amount. And so that was a way that I could detach from his choices. I could detach for a couple of years while he wasn't in school. He just knew it was out there. Sure. I wanted to support healthy behavior. I, that was, this was something I had the means and was willing to do. I did put a grade, like a minimal grade. Like if you're flunking out, I'm not going to keep doing it. That's crazy. But anyway, so I think then focusing back on the loving detachment, setting your boundaries, that has the effect for me of keeping me out of the kind of negative inventory taking but i think in other respects i pay attention i want to know how he's doing in his life i care i think there's part of that that is just being a parent just listening well i definitely want to thank each and every one of you for participating tonight and i thought maybe we could just wrap up with just a quick um any last thoughts that you have and if you maybe want to talk briefly about how your relationship with your children has changed since you've come to the program, and if they have a program, how that's changed the relationship also. One of the things that I see a lot when I go to the open AA meetings, and one of the things that I sure felt a lot uh, raising this kid through these very difficult years is that in active substance abuse, manipulation of your mom or dad seems to come hand in hand with that. Mm. And it just gets ridiculous. And it's it's really, you know, then you, you think they're, they're lying to you all the time because they are. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's just the trust is gone. And having been in the program, Kelly, and getting to where I've got some tools and 
he at various time has been in AA. He's not in it now, but it was really amazing. He got he just stopped. It sort of stopped him in his tracks. He figured he quickly learned that he couldn't. That wasn't going to get him anywhere. Sure. I, I and so that really turned our relationship around because we could just. You know, it didn't necessarily change his behavior right away in terms of what he was doing okay. outside of my presence, but the way we interacted was uh, vastly improved, and I was able to communicate my ongoing love for him, my desire not to enable him anyway, and my insistence on setting boundaries that were for me. And it sounds like even though he doesn't necessarily have a program today, you still have a great relationship. We do have a good relationship, and he's... It's it's his it's his body, it's his mind, it's his life. He's got to decide what he needs. Beth? I think I have a really great relationship with my daughter, and I think I always have. Um, and I think she would tell you that as well. But what I think is really great, right, when she's in recovery, when she's actively in recovery, we have a great time together. Um, we spent the day together today, and... I mean, she and I share a sense of humor that I share with no one else. And we can laugh and, you know, get each other laughing and giggling. And it's it's delightful. I adore this kid. And when she's actively using, I worry a lot. And I, you know, worry didn't come up earlier. And I think that for me, that's been something that I've really had to work on of sort of the letting go piece of that, how how much that um, took up so much of my space. And so now I really, um, I'm much better of, of letting, letting it go, taking those deep breaths. And, and through working an active program, I'm in a much better place too. And I think that allows us to both have a better relationship with each other. Sure. Fred? My, uh, my relationship with my uh, addicted son is much better than it, than it has been in the past. And, and I think even it continues to, to improve as, uh, as time goes along. <clears throat> Obviously, it's uh, much better when he is uh, not drinking or not using, uh, but even the relationship that we have when he is actively using is, uh, is very different uh, now than it, uh, than it was uh, in, the, uh, in the past. I, I visit him periodically uh, where he lives out of, out of state. Uh, we have lots of fun together. Uh, if it happens uh, that the weekend I choose to visit him is a weekend that he may be using, then I simply go about my business and uh, he sort of goes about uh, about his. Um, wow. As far as my relationship with his siblings, uh, that also is better than it has been because I'm far less likely to take somebody's inventory, although they're both adult kids, I'm far less likely to take their inventory. I will certainly talk to them about things, uh, discuss things with them. But again, I think the relationship is much better than it, uh, than it would have been if uh, I had not had the experiences that I've had over the last uh, 30, so, or th- 30 or so years uh, in, uh, in Al-Anon. And, and as far as the Al-Anon program itself is concerned, uh, when I've talked uh, with folks or been at meetings and that kind of things, the, the, the summary statement that I make about the program is that I am convinced that being active in the Al-Anon program has saved my life. Now, whether that's physical or not, I really can't say. 
but certainly emotionally, there is no question in my mind that without this program, I would not be where I am today, and not only with my relationships with my uh, with my uh, addicted son, but uh, j- just in general. Sure, absolutely. James? So before I came into the program, I always thought I had to have an answer for anything, for everything, and 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 also be right about that and and impose <laughs> that on on other people and um that did not make for very good relationships in my life especially with my with my son so i'm a much better listener now um i can i can listen without having to fix a situation or or provide an answer even though sometimes i may think i have the answer i i know better than to <laughs> to to voice that I've gotten much better about accepting that that okay, I have limitations and I really don't have all, all all the answers, and that's been a hard thing for me. But it's it's made our relationships much, you know, much better that I can that I can just listen and be there and not not you know give in to those urges to jump in and try and solve things or 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 fix things. And like I said earlier, you know, I've. It's taken practice, but I've done it enough to to see that you know things things work out, and it's it doesn't have to be, you know, my way. There's 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 other ways, you know, that black and white thinking, you know, my way or the wrong way, mm-hmm. is you know something that I, I've learned in this program. There's a lot of gray area, and there's a lot of right answers, and there's a lot of right ways to do things, and uh, and it doesn't have to be my way, and. Um, to a large degree, that's that's been a relief that it doesn't have to come from me, and I've gained a lot more respect for the people in my life, my life, and the choices that they're making and the way that they're doing things, and and just feeling a sense of relief that it's it's not on my responsibility anyway. But you know that that feeling that need to to jump in and control, you know, is really something that. I continue to have to work on, and one of the other gifts of the program for me that's that's really helped my relationships is when I make a mistake, I never used to be able to to admit I made a mistake. Even if I knew I made a mistake, I couldn't admit I made a mistake. And the program has has taught me, you know, through the ninth step, through the tenth step, to when I make a mistake, to go ahead and and admit it promptly and um, make amends. And uh, I've done that many times with, with my son. And, you know, we just kind of both understand each other that way and then start talking about the program. And so the program itself, you know, has become has become a bond in our relationship. So, Well, thank you so much to all of you again for being here. I know that the listeners really appreciate you sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us tonight. After a short break, we'll be back. Next, Eric Clapton sings Tears in Heaven. This is a song he wrote after the accidental death of his four-year-old son. So 
Our topic next week will be step five, and we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation too. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about step five. Spencer, how can people send us feedback? Hey, you can call and uh, leave us a voicemail at at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. We always love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic, which was our parents' roundtable, or next week's topic of Step 5. And if you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, please let us know. Hey, Kelly, where can our listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? They can go to our website, therecoveryshow.com. And there we have all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to the music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Al-Anon OpenTalk speakers. And we also have a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like, too. Another way to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website is to leave comments on the show notes or on the blog. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Hey, and I'd like to mention a, a few things that um, may be new on the website or maybe new to you. We've got a, uh, a list of our, our topic ideas that we've had. A lot of those came out of uh, one of the daily readers who just uh, went through the index and said, hey, everything in the index is a topic possibility. <laughs> uh, that, that worked pretty well. Uh, you can see which ones we've talked about, which ones we haven't. And if you see one that you'd really like us to talk about, you can you know leave a comment there right on that page or you can send us an email about it. I've also started a page where we're recording music that's suggested by listeners. And uh, that's uh, also in the, uh, in the website. If you look under where the topics is, it, there's a little pull-down menu. Click on that. You can go to Music Suggestions. If you want to buy recovery literature, uh, we've got a bunch of links on the website. And if you buy your recovery literature through one of those links at Amazon.com, we get a little bit of a commission from Amazon, which uh, helps to support the uh, helps to support the website because we do have expenses. Um, our expenses run about $30 a month to, uh, to keep this show on the air. We'd like to thank Helen for her support of this episode of The Recovery Show. Helen used the donation basket button on the website to support the podcast so we can continue to bring it to you. Thank you, Helen. This episode is for you. Another way to help support us, uh, not financially, is to go and leave us a review or a rating on iTunes. That uh, helps to uh, uh, bring the recovery show up to the top when uh, people are looking for some help for for what they're going through. makes it easier for people to find us. And we did get a nice five-star review. She says, thank you very much for your show. I listen to your podcasts every day on the train to work. I just started one week ago and started from the first show and I'm working myself up to the most recent. I just attended my first Al-Anon meeting last week and have learned so much already from your podcast. So much of what is discussed I can identify with. Thank you for your excellent work and amazing help. And, you know, that's why we're here. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here to hear ourselves talk. We are here to bring the message from the parents we had here tonight about uh, how they've used the program to really improve their relationship with their children, whether their children are still actively using or whether they're in recovery, to, to uh, improve their lives. And uh, we're going to close with a piece of music that was suggested by a listener, um, Stacy suggested this uh, song, Light, from the musical Next to Normal, and 
She writes about it. She says, if you're not familiar with the musical, it is about mental illness and the effects on the family. I saw a high school production of the musical recently, and if I didn't believe that alcoholism and addiction were a disease before I saw it, I definitely believed after I saw the musical. If you have a chance to see this musical, it's a must, and be prepared to cry. So the song Light is a summary of what I learned and accepted by working the Al-Anon program over the last year. And thank you, Stacy, for that suggestion. And I, it's on Spotify, and I listened to the whole thing through. And, you know, it it was rough. Like she said, be prepared to cry. I mean, I was, I was practically, I was listening to it at work, so I wasn't crying, but I was definitely wanting to. And, uh, and that was just from listening to the music, not even seeing the play. So here we go. Thanks. First of all, we need some light You can't sit here in the dark And all alone It's a sorry sight It's just you and me We'll live, you'll see listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you're facing today please feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode may understanding love and peace grow in you one day at a time